O Lord God of my salvation, I cry out day and night before you. Let my prayer come before you. Incline your ear to my cry. Those are the first two verses of Psalm 88, which is the psalm appointed for today, Friday, June the 18th, 2021. You're listening to Faith Seeking Understanding, and I'm your host, John Green. We're continuing our study in the, in the books of 1 Samuel and in the book of Acts and in the Gospel according to Luke. In the Samuel lesson, remember yesterday, um, a man of God came and spoke to Eli the priest and told him that God was about to bring a curse on his family forever, that an old man would never be found among them, and that he was going to bring about the ruination of the house of Eli because he failed to discipline his sons, because he benefited from failing to discipline them, but mostly because he failed to discipline them. He failed, therefore, to uphold the holiness and the righteousness of God. God's name was being profaned by the actions of the men who were designated to be his priests. And therefore, that house had to be brought down after the warning. Apparently, he didn't do anything still, because now what we see is the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli. And the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no frequent vision. That's true, where the truth's not being preached and where the truth's not being upheld one way or another. I mean, I've seen it happen, right? I mean, I saw a man who was a powerful speaker. He, he was a, a, a wonderful man, loved him to death. His wife had died a few years before, and, and he was deep in grief and in mourning. Then he met a woman that he wanted to marry, but, but she had not been divorced very long, and she had had multiple husbands and she was a wonderful person i'm not gonna i'm not saying anything bad about her i'm just saying what the church said was you need to wait to get married and he said no i won't do it we're going to do it now in defiance of all these things and so what happened was after that what i saw was a man who would get into the pulpit and you could cringe if you had seen him preach before because you'd hear him now and you'd see that there was nothing there and he knew it. And you could see it in his face. You could see in his, in his words and the way that he stuttered and stumbled around that, that God had taken it away from him. And it was a painful, painful thing to see. And so ultimately, he stopped preaching. He didn't preach regularly anyway. He was retired, but he didn't preach regularly. But, but he stopped and he said, it's gone. Then finally, in, in, he was asked to preach a sermon at a funeral, a funeral of a young child who had died. And he preached beautifully and wonderfully in that sermon. And it was fascinating and beautiful to watch because there were many in that particular congregation at that funeral who were not believers. They were far from the Lord. And, and in that time, he spoke so eloquently, but you could see how deeply humbled he was and how almost shocked he was as he stood there and proclaimed the word of the Lord that day. That God had come back was the most amazing thing, I think, I've ever seen in my life. To see something taken from a man who had been so powerful before, now reduced to nothing. And then that day, after his humbling and after he confessed publicly his sin and confessed that, that God did what God wanted to do, but, but he was being chastised for his sin. And then that day, watching him give this powerful, eloquent, and beautiful sermon to this crowd of 
partially at least, unbelievers was, was a remarkable thing. But you could see, and I've seen it, so when it says the word of the Lord was rare in those days, there was no frequent vision, I saw it with him. And I saw that same thing happen in churches that used to be powerful and strong and vibrant. And then they abandoned the gospel. They went with um, the, the teaching of modernity and post-modernity. And now those churches are reduced to a shadow of their former selves. So anyway, at, at, at that time, Eli, whose eyesight had begun to grow dim so that he could not see. Now remember, early on in this book, we, we saw that same thing, and, and that he was watching Hannah's lips while she prayed. And so, but he had overlooked the sins of his sons. And so since he wasn't using his eyes, his eyes began to grow dim. And I believe that's part of the judgment of God on him. He was lying alone in his own place, and then the lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord where the ark was. And three times the Lord calls to Samuel by name. And Samuel's response is, here am I. And then he thought that it was Eli calling him, but Eli kept telling him, I didn't call you, go lay back down. He thought he was having a dream or whatever. And then finally, after the third time, Samuel had said, well, after the second time, actually, what it says is Samuel did not yet know the Lord, and the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. He, he lived and worked in the temple for the priest. Could there be any greater condemnation of Eli than that statement right there? Samuel did not yet know the Lord, and the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. And then the third time, after that, when Eli finally realized he perceived what was actually going on, and it was the Lord calling the boy. And he told him, go lie down, and if he calls you again, say, speak, Lord, for your servant hears. And so Samuel went and lay back down, and the Lord came again and said, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, speak, for your servant hears. He, he said exactly what Eli told him to do. He was obedient to exactly that. And then the Lord tells him what he's going to do, that he's going to move now in fulfillment of the word that he had given through the man of God. He's going to move now against the house of Eli to punish his house forever for the iniquity that he knew because his sons were blaspheming God and he did not restrain them. He says, therefore, I swear to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be atoned for by sacrifice or offering forever. This is a permanent cursing on the house of Eli. And so then the next morning, he, Samuel lays there and then he opens the doors of the house of the Lord and he was afraid to tell Eli. And he calls, Eli calls him and says, Samuel, my son. Sounds remarkably like Abraham and Isaac and Samuel, my son. But he's not his son. But, but that's the relationship that's here. And, and he said, here am I. And Eli said, what was it he told you? Don't hide it from me. May God so, do so to you and more also if you hide anything from me that he told you. So Samuel told everything and hid nothing from him. Samuel, again, perfect obedience. Don't hide anything from me. So he hid nothing. And he, so he told the whole thing. And then he said, it's the Lord. Let him do what seems good to him. He's resigned to his fate because he knew. And Samuel grew and the Lord was with him and let none of his words fall to the ground. And everyone knew that Samuel was established as a prophet of the Lord. And the Lord appeared again at Shiloh, for the Lord revealed himself to Samuel at Shiloh by the word of the Lord. So now what we have is, is God came back to Shiloh because Samuel was a man who was obedient and a man after God's own heart. And even this, he didn't hide from his master, Eli, even this horrible word. And so he's tested early on to see how he'll handle the word of the Lord. 
He's given a word. And it's like the worst possible thing that you could get, right? Your master's house is getting ready to be destroyed. And, and so he has to now speak that word to this man who has been his master all his life since he was weaned from his mother. And he has to now tell this or not. He had a choice, but he did exactly what God wanted him to do. He was faithful with the word of the Lord, even when it was difficult. He was faithful with the word of the Lord. And so then you see Jesus continuing to speak. He's in the temple precincts here. Um, remember yesterday he saw someone offering, making their people making their offerings and all that. So he's right there. And, he, and some were speaking of the temple, how it was adorned with noble stones and offerings. And he said, as for these things you see, the days will come when there will not be left here one stone upon another that will be thrown down, not be thrown down. And, and they asked him, teacher, when will these things be and what will be the sign that these things are about to take place? They believe straight up and right away that, that there will be signs prior to the destruction of the temple and the temple will be destroyed. In fact, it'll be destroyed within about 40 years after Jesus says these things, if not slightly less than that. And so he gives them the signs. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes and in various places, famines and pestilences, and there'll be terrors and great signs from heaven. But before all this, they'll lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and the pre prisons, and you'll be brought before kings and governors for my name's sake. This will be your opportunity to bear witness. Settle it, therefore, in your name, minds, not to meditate beforehand how to answer, for I'll give you a mouth and wisdom which none of your adversaries will be able to withstand or contradict. So he, he's telling them, look, this thing's going to come down, but before all, before all these other signs of wars and rumors of war and pestilences and famines and earthquakes and all that kind of stuff, before all that happens, you're going to be persecuted, you're going to be tried because you love me and you believe in me and you believe that I'm the Messiah, but don't worry about it. It's an opportunity to bear witness. And you won't have to worry about what you'll say in advance. You don't need to prepare eloquent speeches or anything like that. For when you stand in those places, in those circumstances, what's going to happen is the Holy Spirit's going to come upon you and he's going to give you the words to say that nobody will be able to refute. And, and we see that very thing happen in Acts 4 and 5. And we see it happen over and over again with Paul and in his life. And then he says, you'll be delivered even up by parents and brothers and relatives and friends, and some of you will be put to death. You'll be hated by all for my name's sake, but not a hair of your head will perish. You'll be put to death, but not a hair of your head will perish. By your endurance, you'll gain your lives. So you're going to become martyrs, but don't worry about it. You're not going to perish. In other words, you will live forever. You'll experience an earthly death. All people will experience an earthly death. But by your endurance and your perseverance in truth and perseverance in your love and testimony of me, you'll gain your lives. you got to go all in, right? I mean, it's the same message as yesterday. It's the same exact thing. He says, you, there, there can't be half measures here. You're going to pay a price for believing in me. They're, they're going to call you fanatics. They're going to call you lunatics. They're going to call you liars. They're going to call you all kinds of things, for my name's sake. But if you persevere and if you endure in that, if you refuse to back down, if you'll stand firm in truth, 
then you'll gain your lives. And that's our promise. And he never promised it was going to be easy for us. He promised it was going to be difficult, in fact. But he went all in for our sake on the cross. So then in the, in the Acts lesson, remember yesterday Peter had told them what this meant, this outpouring of the Spirit here. He told them what it meant, and, and it was a continuation of the work of Jesus. The, the work of Jesus didn't end at the cross. It didn't end with the resurrection. It didn't end with the ascension. It ended. It, it will never end. And this is a continuation of the work, and now the work is going to be accomplished through those who are empowered by the Holy Spirit. And so he declares this is what it means. It means that Jesus is alive and he's among us today, and this is the evidence that you see right before your eyes. And so now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? All right, they understood the meaning of it. Now they wanted to know what they should do about it. And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you. Okay, I can do that. I can do that. And be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. That's a powerful statement. It's something that people have to, you look at it, you come up and you go, okay, I can repent, I can be baptized, I can go take a mikvah, I can do that, that's no big deal. What In the name of Jesus for forgiveness of your sins. That's a big deal. That's a big change. You can be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. So you're confessing at that point that he is the Christ and you believe that if you do those things, you can receive forgiveness of your sins, particularly the sin of delivering up that Christ to be crucified. That's a big ask. But they've just seen the sign. That's why they're there, is they've seen and heard the signs. And so now he reconfigures faith, reconfigures the way everything works. You have to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. And you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. It's a powerful, powerful thing, and it's a big ask. They've got to throw over everything and say, I now believe that Jesus is the Christ not was, is, because he's alive. And he says, for the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and they were added that day about 3,000 souls. Powerful, powerful move of the Spirit. I'm not sure which is the bigger move of the Spirit, whether it's what happened to bring about the gathering or the response and the ingathering of the first fruits, which was exactly what they were celebrating at that time. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, and the breaking of the bread and the prayers. That's who the church is supposed to be. Devoted to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. So we should expect to see God do great things to accompany the proclamation of his Son. He said, all who believed were together and had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved.
the commitment of the people was to say we're all in. They gave away everything they owned and gave it to the church so that there would be no lack or want among them. I'm not arguing for a, a, a church where everybody shares everything in common. That's not my argument at all. I believe that was a response to what they believed to be the Lord's coming again very, very soon. It could be tomorrow. We have to have that same sense of urgency, certainly. But, but nowhere in Scripture does he call us to live that way. So I'm never arguing for that. That, that becomes cult quickly. So, but what I am saying is you've got to be willing to go all in. If the Lord calls you and says, hey, Bob, I need you to go all in on something. I need what you have. You have something that I need. You have to be prepared to provide for that. And you have to be prepared to provide for those who are among you who are in want. It, it, and then you've got to extend that same idea across the whole globe because your brothers and sisters live all over the globe. We've got to be willing always to go all in if he asks, if he requires it, just like Jesus did, just like the early church did.